guys, welcome back to Raging Nerds. This is episode 23, and as always, I am your host, Thirsty, joined by... The very, I don't know, insert insert random adjective, John. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's been too long. He doesn't know how to talk. <laughs> I know. it's. I don't have my thesaurus. Your thesaurus. Uh, so we've, it's been a couple weeks, and we're back. Uh, life's been hectic. Gosh, I'm doing so many events now. Um, you know, as we've discussed before, I'm helping out with Comic Palooza with their whole podcasting program. Uh, so it's a lot of meeting up and talking about that and deciding where we're going to go. Uh, but again, Comic Palooza, May 10th through 12th, Mother Day weekend. How do you feel about that? I have my room, so that's enough said right there. <laughs> he, he, you always have your room, and I love it. Yes, and I always have the air mattress with me. So if any of my friends get too drunk from partying too hard instead of driving and getting a thousand dollar ticket, they can crash mm-hmm. in my room for the price of a beer. <laughs> <laughs> what a great friend. Yes. <laughs> uh, but this week our topic is systems before it's time. Uh, we're going to go into the systems that were just made a little bit too early. Technology just wasn't there to meet the demand and all the amazing game accessories that went with that. So my childhood. Yeah. (laughs) So on that note, let's go to Around the Net. And now we go around the net. So systems before it's time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, We're going to start with (laughs) we're going to start off with the Neo Geo. Um, I did not have a Neo Geo. We were totally a Nintendo family growing up. And then we led into a PlayStation family. So the thing that made this before its time was the raw processing power that enabled wicked graphics and sound combined with the heavy duty joystick experience that mimicked the feel of arcade cabinets. Um, It was also way ahead of its time um, price point. It was 650 bucks. Which, I mean, that's crazy. When I was a kid, um, I bought my first console at seven years old. Uh, I bought a Super Nintendo Mini for $100. And it came with all the extra fixings, the games, um, you know, everything. And it was only $100. uh, Which, is, I mean, $650 is so much money. And this is in 1990, may may I say. So that's like $1,000 in real people money now. It's a lot of money. It's like getting a. It's more than getting a. Actually, you know, a, one of the new Samsung, like foldable phones. Oh my god! Just, that, that looks so cool, right? I really want to get one, but I'm like really unsure because it's thick. It reminds me of those old, uh, you know, those flip phones where the it's like the phones. first flip phones. <laughs> it's like phones. Uh, <laughs> where the front of it had like the numbers and a little screen. But then you opened it, and then it had a bigger screen and a QWERTY board. Oh, yeah. I think I had one of those. I think, I think my, I think my mom were, had one. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like, you know, like, that's, I guess it would be the T-Mobile sidekick. But that's what it reminds me of. It looks like that same thickness. Yeah. But it looks super rad. I would love to have it just as a mini tablet. That's what it looks like, essentially. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I was keeping up with that at uh, keeping up with the CES 2018 when they're showing it off. This is kind of cool, but hmm, what is Samsung going to charge? For? Yep, nope, too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, all the new Samsungs are coming out with Gorilla Glass, all this kind of stuff. Finally, they're starting to use Gorilla Glass. They've had this technology out for the past, what is it, 10 years? 
but no one's been wanting to put it in their phones. Well, no, they had they had the older ones like Gorilla Glass three and two. Now they're like what, Gorilla guess. Glass five or six now, where it's like if it gets light scratches, it actually self heal. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's amazing. While me, I just went with the one touch six T. All the wonderful things of a Samsung without the horrible <laughs> things of a Samsung. <laughs> Samsungs are awesome. I still have I that Note seven as well. <laughs> <laughs> I switched from iPhone to Samsung because iPhone Apple you're just sucks. buying you're just <laughs> buying Apple. Like and every time I had to upgrade it, it was this huge ordeal. Um, sometimes I would lose information. I had an iPhone four and I had it for a really long time, and then all of a sudden it just stopped working. It just wouldn't turn on. It was just on that Apple death screen. And I was like, hey, um, I've had this for a couple of years. I'm going to take it into the store. And my phone company is like, no, you have to take it to an Apple store. We can't do anything for you. And I'm like, no, but I bought it from you. Never had an issue with Verizon. Verizon usually takes it, fixes it. But they're saying just because it's an Apple, they cannot touch it. And I was, and I was <laughs> like, fuck this. <laughs> I did say Verizon. <laughs> What? I hate Verizon. I hate Apple. <laughs> oh, I love, I love Verizon. I've never had an issue with them. They, they wouldn't touch it. And from then on, I'm like, look, I'm only buying phones that my Verizon will take care of. Something broke. Oh. They fix it for free, right? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Hey, as long as you're back to the Android family, where the re- <laughs> where the logical, creative people are, that's great. Because iPhones are for people who have no imagination whatsoever. That's why they only have one button. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Neo Geo, it failed after 14 years on the market, mainly because it was just too much money. People didn't want to up that price of 650, which is probably around a thousand bucks now in today's money. Uh, I mean, it had a long run though. Oh yeah, but it's just one of those things. Is that the one that had like the oversized giant cartridges? Yes, it was. I had to look up the picture on because I never owned one. No, my friends owned one. So I never got to see one. <laughs> the only one, the only place that I've seen these are like an old vintage game stores. Uh, the controller itself is very bulky and weird. It's a square box. Um, so it's not something you can really grasp onto and hold correctly. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's very weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just looking at this thing, it's like, this was designed to sit in your lap and just bash on it, but yet the buttons are not <laughs> centered for a right-hander. Right. You have to twist your hand, break your wrist, and yes. then you can hit the buttons. And then the joystick, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Another system before its time. The 3DO! Yeah! <laughs> the 3DO capitalized on the multimedia wave. Of the 1990s. Yes, most of us remember that wave. It was horrible. <laughs> it killed us all. And boasted the prosthetic oomph to make it a front runner. Thanks to its innovative CD-based software system and clever marketing, it could support games that cartridge-based games simply could not. It was initially lauded as the next big thing in gaming. Hell, even Time Magazine named it Product of the Year in 1994. But they name everything Product of the Year, so who, who cares? <laughs> It, it was ahead of its time. Um, again, Panasonic, uh, they made some good systems back in the day, but they really they really couldn't keep up with everything else going on. Um, it was ultra powerful. Uh, it was an ultra expensive gaming console. It failed to deliver the kind of gaming experience players experienced um, or they wanted to experience for $700. Oh, yeah, because one of the things was with the 3DO, uh, they made the games, mm-hmm. but they... 
had the third parties make the system, like Panasonic. Right. But at the same time, Panasonic wasn't getting any of the royalties off any of the software, so why should they make it a good price point? That's why it was selling for five to seven hundred. Right. They had ill, you know, ill-conceived royalties model for the game developers. Um, they had to rely on extremely high console prices to turn a profit. That's you know, right there. Um, and there really was a lack of third-party support because of all this yes. going on. But if you look at the Panasonic, it looks like a uh, weird VCR. Yes, well, of course they made VCRs too. I know, so. it, looks, it looks like my Panasonic VCR. It's amazing. Oh, let's see here if I can find some other ones of that. Cause I know Panasonic was the main one as soon as my Windows system decides to agree with me. Let's see here. Yeah, that VCR, VCR, VCR. And then there's the Panasonic Reel, which actually looked like a really old... Like someone took a... Sony, uh, what are those CD uh, systems, the portable CDs that Sony had? The Walkmans? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Discman. Discman, that's what it was called. Discman, it's yeah. It's like the Discman and a 3DO had a horrible baby. <laughs> they are very, very interesting looking. Um, probably one of the weirdest um, systems that were before its time, I have to say, is the Atari Lynx. Oh, God. I mean, have you seen this thing? Like, does it fold in on itself? It just looks really awkward. <laughs> yes. Like the like the sides of it with the buttons and um, the joy pad. It looks almost like ears onto the side, and it looks like you could fold them up. Uh, it's just really, really awkward looking. Um, it has yeah. a sleek layout uh, that was uh, ambidextrous, <laughs> allowing oh, no. le- yeah, allowing left-handed players to flip it over and play with ease. So, that, I mean, that is really nifty. So that is the flippable aspect of that. Um, it also was the first gaming device to allow zooming scaling, which enabled realistic 3D effects for first-person games, such as the awesome blue lighting. One review from the Lynx throws the Game Boy into a prehistoric era. I don't know about that. I don't. I wouldn't go with that review. Uh, but it failed because um, at the same time, Nintendo released uh, its handheld <laughs> along with uh, Sega's Game Gear. Yeah, I remember this thing was like supposed to was they were trying to get into the market with when the Game Gear came out, right? But the Game Gear that was a really good system, mm-hmm. especially since it was just really a portable Sega Master System. See, That's uh, all it really was. The issue is is that, I mean, when Game Boy came out, they came out. Every, I want to say every system in the 80s and 90s that Nintendo did, they fucking did. You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? Everything was calculated. Uh, they made sure their stuff came out when other systems did so they could knock them out of the market. Um, I mean, I still love Nintendo, but back in the day, Nintendo had some mad game. Oh, God, yes, they did. And they've and they stuck to, ever since the Game Boy. They've kind of stuck to the same thing. Like, hey, cool, we got this and this, this price point, that price point. Here's what they do. We're your second choice. And then with that, like everyone started coming to the Game Boy because one, it was reasonably priced. It didn't have all the bells and whistles, and the batteries lasted forever. Right. And and, <laughs> and, and with the early Nintendo systems, uh, they had a lot of third party games. Oh, yeah. You know, you could get Doom on the Super Nintendo. I mean, you could get a lot of weird games on the Nintendo, uh, mainly because that was, gosh, such like a huge competitor in the very beginning. How many years did the Nintendo last it on the market? Because it had zero competitors. It was like it was like 10 or 12 years because no one was like. Yeah, the NES lasted even through when the SNES came out. Right. I think it was like they finally 
made the last game for the NES, I think, 1994. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe a year or two after the SNES came out. It's crazy because at that same time, everyone was making new systems and putting stuff out. And Nintendo was like, fam, we don't oh, have yeah. to do that. <laughs> like, We're just going to stay with this system for as long as we can write it out. I, it was It was really good. Oh, yes, but you know what's also fun with Atari and their wonderful systems? Oh, what? The Jaguar. Wah, wah, wah! <laughs> oh, yeah, in their bid to overthrow the NES and Sega, in Sega Genesis, the Jaguar was re- released with a 64-bit processor, which really wasn't. It was two 32-bits side-by-side. But, <laughs> <laughs> which was quite a beast. With that, it was quite a beast back then because... Everyone, nobody knew really knew what the hell a bit was. Oh, I know, but like you had to have the more bits. Yeah, like, oh, we have a we have a thirty-two. We have a (laughs) thirty-two gig game, and you're like, what? (laughs) Atari boasted about about this processing with its clever marketing slogan aimed at gamers who wanted the fastest machine, especially with all of their ads they put out with "Do the math." (laughs) Yeah, it was like it was. Oh, what were the things on that one? Because I remember this commercial. With the teacher in the front, <laughs> like, like here we go. The Sega Genesis, sixteen bit, and then they had, I think it had three DO was thirty two bit. And the Atari Jaguar, sixty four bit. <laughs> Which one's better? <laughs> Even its most po- powerful competitors couldn't match its horsepower until the PlayStation and other next generation consoles came along. But yeah, it was uh, very interesting with that Atari Jaguar, especially if you look at the controller on that thing. Mm-hmm. It looks like someone went back to the ColecoVision days and tried to combine it into an NES controller it's, that didn't it's, work. <laughs> it's so weird when I see um, classic uh, game systems with USB ports. Oh yeah, it just throws me off. Like I'm like with the with the retro gamings, I'm always used to those big plugins and everything like that. And so it's so weird when I see little USB ports. Um, this looks like a Discman. Oh, yeah, but what was uh, the <laughs> accessory it, it could do cd based games but it didn't have that many of them and they're really rushed through production mm-hmm. on the games themselves because the programming on that system sucked but yeah and it was an attachment you could buy on there and that attachment cost almost as much as the system did too what was the attachment it was a cd attachment that he plugs into the cartridge port of the jaguar interesting so, had, so you actually have put play cd games there but then you also had the cartridge slot right behind it as well that's so weird. That's so weird. Uh, but it failed due to an oversized controller. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it combined with a small library of games and not being able to get a foothold in the market. Um, market is everything. It, it was oversaturated at the time. And uh, I just, it, it doesn't look sexy. No, it does not. My friend it, it had one not. of those. And I think with that one, when they came out, they only had like like two or three games when, right. it, when it came out, when it was launched. Mm-hmm. And I think it had a total library of, I could be wrong on this, so you might have to fact check me on this. I think there was like only 30 games by the time it was out. By the time I mean, it died. The, the most notable games that was on here was Alien vs. Predator, Rayman, and Doom. You can get that all on something else. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's like... The, that was the one, that was the only game, uh, Aliens vs. Predator, that was the only game that was... On other systems, but the Atari Jaguar one was the best one out of all of them because it had extra levels, better controls mm-hmm. than any of the others. But that was the only thing that kept the Atari Jaguar alive for those little time, those little time frame. Right. 
but I know, I know this one. The next one is your favorite. I know it is. Oh uh, God, the, <laughs> the Virtual Boy. Oh, fuck uh, that thing. <laughs> so the Virtual Boy was created the illusion of depth due to an effect called parallax. Is that how you say it? parallax? which is about the relative distance and speed of objects. Uh, it was a pretty innovative, especially since game companies are still trying to figure out how to do practical virtual reality at home, the Oculus Rift uh, being a notable and potentially awesome example. Um, I mean, this thing was huge, first of all. It was on a tripod. Um, you know, it wasn't really portable, like, you know, the Oculus Rift or uh, PlayStation VR headset. Um, I've, I've played on the PlayStation VR headset. It's pretty awesome. Uh, the one thing that I hate about it is that I played this carnival game on it and I got instantly nauseous and like sick the rest of the day. Oh, okay. So all I had was like the game that came with it. Mm-hmm. Mario Tennis, because I had this thing for all of 48 hours before I took it back to the store. Well, uh, our, our co-host, John, became colorblind <laughs> to, due to the Virtual Boy, like many other kids. <laughs> oh, God, yes, because this was before, like, this system was the reason they put those warnings in, take a break every 15 yes. minutes. Yes, I played Mario Tennis, apparently, for three hours. When I got done... The red sensors in my eyes were overloaded, so when I got done and went outside, the grass was fucking blue. (laughs) Blue. Uh, but it failed simply because it didn't work. Um, it was more of an immersive feeling um, than an actual 3D feeling. Uh, yes, and it did not do anything that it was like. Because during the 90s, it was the whole virtual reality thing, Max Headroom, and all that wonderful crap. And yeah, this thing wasn't portable. It was on a dinky stand that you had to sit in the chair at a weird right. angle to, yeah. to, to view through it. And it was just horrible. And the games were kind of bad especially when the last one that was made for it was water world that's amazing and it was a horrible horrible game <laughs> it was i mean five the, levels the graphics on there weren't really amazing right i mean they were just very red and right black. right yeah it, it was crap uh the president the president of nintendo of america uh, howard lincoln he just summed it up as a complete failure Oh yeah, like really he was bad. like it failed. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's really bad too because if I rem- if I'm remembering this right, the guy who actually create came up with the idea of the Virtual Boy, I think it was the same one that came up with the old Game and Watch from the early yeah. '80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the failure of the Virtual Boy, and granted, this guy has been with Nintendo for like twenty plus years. Right, he resigned because that's of it. crazy. And then I, died I would, a short time later. I would too, though. I mean. He made people colorblind. How did Nintendo, did Nintendo get sued over that? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I was I've, 12. I've heard so <laughs> many stories of people becoming colorblind, but then I hear nothing of it besides them putting on warning labels. Yeah. Because I remember it was such an issue. They're, they had to put warning labels on the system, and then I think people just did not buy the system. Yeah, and it was just a horrible thing altogether. If they actually made it somewhat portable, then maybe it was survived or put a color screen in it. But they're trying to save money. But speaking of Nintendo, you heard about the new president of American Nintendo, right? Uh, Nintendo of America or Nintendo of Japan? Nintendo of America. No, I have not. Please tell me. Uh, his name is Mr. Bowser. Oh, God. 
His last name is Bowser. It is amazing. Uh, he posted. You're not, you're not shitting me, are you? I am not shitting you. His last okay, name is Bowser. Okay, that explains the fucking memes I've been seeing for the <laughs> yes! past week. Uh, so it was so funny when he originally posted a picture on social media. He said, you know, thank you for introducing me to the family or whatever. In the very back on his bookshelf, he has Mario and Luigi tied up in a cord. <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, everyone's like, did you literally just hire him because his last name is Bowser? (laughs) Hold on. I have to I have to look at this guy now. Oh, oh, wow. There's the picture. (laughs) Wow. And there there's Mario tied up in the back. Yep. (laughs) Wow. It's awesome. I lost it. I was like, this is way too funny. It's amazing. Well, I guess that leads to the next thing. Yeah. Something weird. It's incredibly weird. It's taco-shaped weird. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I'm going to have to pull up a picture of this thing just so I can remember what it looks like. It kind of looks like um, an overloaded Game Boy Advance. Oh, my God. That's the picture of it. It's a... Wow. Okay. So, if you haven't guessed from all of our clues that we've been giving... It's the Nokia N-Gage. Yeah. I think this is probably what the only game system that you can literally punt across the parking lot and <laughs> run over with a steamroller and still be able to play your games. It looks it. Because it's made by Nokia back in the day. You, could, you couldn't destroy those phones if you tried. Trust me, I tried. I think I still have... Yep. Yeah, I still have an oldie. That's amazing. The old 5100. And a couple others. But yeah. So the Nokia N-Gage, ooh, way back in the days of yore, and yes, we're talking about the early 2000s, <laughs> you, you young people. Most hip youngsters, or as we call them now, hipsters, yes, carried both a cell phone and a handheld gaming system like the Game Boy Advance. Well, let's just mash these two together and <laughs> see what happens. exactly like it, though. <laughs> and then Nokia was like, hold my beer. Oh my bear (laughs) It was a great idea but done with shoddy execution A mistake that other companies Especially Apple Wink wink (laughs) Surely learned from And unfortunately it uh, failed Because it was ugly It resembled a taco (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't love tacos But okay okay, look It looks like a taco shaped Game Boy Advance right Uh, And then it has a really Really tiny screen it has numbers on the right-hand side, and it has a joystick, music, um, a bunch of other buttons that I have no idea are. It's just super, super weird looking. I'm looking at these pictures right now. Let's see. Um, I can make out a music button, a radio. Hey, yeah, it was like, FM listen, radio. listen to the radio while you play. I mean, that is pretty innovative. But the Game Boy Advance actually made a um, an adapter for its Game Boys uh, that you could listen to the radio while playing your music. I had one. I had a Game Boy Advance. Uh, I had everything that came with the sucker. Uh, I had the, the add-on that you slid your Game Boy Advance into a large handhold um handhold controller um we'll go with that it's it's hard to explain but you slipped it in and you could actually hold it like grips 
And then it also, that built, had built-in speakers that made it louder. I had the light, because back then the game, um, some of the Game Boy Advances didn't have a backlight. So I had like an overlamp light. And then I had a radio that plugged in on the top of the USB. And so, I mean, I had like this final form looking thing. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, I, I can kind of top that right now because I have the regular Game Boy Advance and the SP, which had the backlight. Yes. Uh, I now have an e-reader for it that's amazing oh yes and it's really weird because i have a uh nintendo the mario party that was for it mm-hmm. but you really didn't need the e-reader which is kind of sucky it's like for mini games from there doing the board game and let's see i have the warm light which i confiscated that to use for my game boy color pokemon edition <laughs> and the wireless adapter that's amazing. I have most of the accessories. Uh, my actual Game Boy Advance got stolen. Uh, I lent it to someone and I never got it back. But they are selling um, modded Game Boy Advances with backlights, and I really want to fucking get it. It's not that hard to mod it, actually. I looked at some of the stuff on it, mm-hmm. and the only thing you need to add in there is maybe do a couple of j- solder and a couple of jumpers and then some mm-hmm. LEDs. And, right. Uh, and a white uh, drinking straw. See, I'm lazy. So I'd rather just buy it done. <laughs> oh, no, see, that was one of the things, too. There was actually a Game Boy that had a backlight, original Game Boy, mm-hmm. that never made it to the States. See, you know, Nintendo, why are you holding out on us? Oh, no, it wasn't okay. that good of a backlight, really. Right, I don't care. Nintendo, old- I have a complaint. <laughs> I have a complaint. <laughs> I got to complain, Nintendo. Okay. Hashtag Nintendo complaints. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so, have you seen the new Nintendo um, Home Goods and Party line? Huh? So, Nintendo released a Super Mario Home Goods and Party line. Uh, it comes with, I believe, three different kinds of blanket pillows, uh, where it's a pillow, and then the blanket is in top in, inside of it, and you zip it out. There's the pipe, the brick, and the piranha plant. Uh, okay. They have two different kinds of floor mats. Uh, they have streamers. They have placemats, which are super duper duper cool. Uh, they have a <laughs> they have a babam tissue cover box, and it's super duper cute. You know where the wick is on the babam? Yeah, that's where the tissues come out. Uh, it's super cute. They have the piranha. I'm sure you've seen the picture of the piranha plant slippers, where it looks like a piranha plant, and then you take them out, and they're slippers. Now I have. Oh, now you have. Okay. Well, anyway, (laughs) so all this stuff, right? It's retailing for about ten to thirty dollars, just depending on what you want. Um, but they're not selling it in the United States, so I have to go on eBay, and everything's like a hundred dollars. Oh, and I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? (laughs) Eve, like what? See, this is why we need to go to. A different version of Amazon. <laughs> this is why I need more Japanese friends who live in Japan, so they could just like email me this shit. <laughs> well, I, so that I, they could just me- help email me this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just ridiculous. I they they release all this cool stuff over in Japan, and then we barely get any of it, and we only get it if we put, we pay triple the price on eBay. Oh, of course, because you know, d- double the risk, triple the price. No, no, it's not fair. It's not fair. I know it's not fair. Blame <laughs> the wonderful marketing and region lot crap. <laughs> uh, but speaking of not fair, uh, let's let's talk about our last one, Sega Dreamcast. 
Oh, God, I love that system. If it only has a second joystick on it. <laughs> Aside from having some pretty fantastic games and the cojones to power them, the Dreamcast was the first home system to have a built-in modem, allowing online play and internet access. It also featured memory cartridges that fit in the controller, which sometimes featured their own mini-games on a tiny monochrome screen. I always wondered what that little hole was in the controller. And I was just like, what is that? Uh, and it always bothered me. I didn't have a Sega Dreamcast. Um, I think that we did receive a Sega one year and we returned it for a Nintendo product or a PlayStation product when it came out. Um, like I said, we were Nintendo and the PlayStation. We were not a Sega family. Uh, but this, it failed due to the competition from PS2 and Xbox. Uh, it's also failed because Nintendo, uh, Sega Japan and Sega America were like, a horrible married couple that argued all the time. That's why a lot of the system failed. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> Mainly look at, the 32X, the Saturn. <laughs> look, look at the shape of the controller, though. Oh, I know. I own one. I mean, it's it's monstro. I mean, it's a monstrosity. They've actually updated with a new controller that's better for the Dreamcast, and it looks really beautiful. I believe I posted on our social media, so I definitely look into that. Uh, but it was just. It was way ahead. I mean, it had a built-in modem. How cool is that? Oh, yeah. And then towards the end of its life, it actually got a uh, broadband network adapter so you can plug it into your home network. Right. I mean. And if you can find one of those, good luck. They're sorry, $350. I mean, but that, that that's just insane. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I never I never had anything like that when I was a kid. I didn't either. That's why I bought it when I was a semi-adult. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, out of all of those, I mean, what do you think was the was the I guess the system that was way before its time out of everything? To be honest, the Dreamcast because you can it was the just because of the internet connectivity. But during that time, the Virtual Boy had potential. Right, it really did. But it was thrown into the market way too freaking fast. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I believe that Sega Dreamcast, um, I mean, if that is something like that was put out, I believe a little bit more glamorous looking, um, a little bit more inexpensive, they shouldn't have done everything in one system. They should have taken, they should have taken a couple things out and then added them as extras that you could buy later. Okay. That would have, that would have reduced the price of it. And it would have been because that was the issue. People wanted to get the Xbox and the PlayStation 2. Um, well, first of all, because Xbox was like, what? It's a new gaming system released by Microsoft, blah, blah, blah. I think that they just did too much too early. Yeah. And the main thing was, was like with the controller, they left the second joystick. Uh, there were actually were designs to have a second joystick. Right. On it, mm-hmm. Like the PlayStation and all that. But for to keep the price point where they needed to be, they left it out. Which it would have really helped with Sonic with Sonic Adventure one and two, if you can actually have one as a camera and then the other one as a controller. Because mm-hmm. well, I have all those. And also the thing that really killed it was the fact that there was no DRM on it on any of the games. Mm-hmm. You can actually copy the go take take a CDR, drop it in, drop your game in, and burn a copy. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean it it, it was before its time. You know, they didn't, mm-hmm. the technology just wasn't there at the price that they needed it to be. Oh, yeah. And then the memory cards, actually, if you had a save, they actually designed them so that you can take two two of those memory cards and plug, in, 
plug it into your friend's one, mm-hmm. and you can copy your save files over. That is so awesome. That is really cool. Oh, yeah. Like with the Sonic Advanced game. There, that's Advanced. Sonic Adventure. I'm getting going to different systems now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a mini game you can play on if you had the save file already on there. Right. That you can just play on the memory card itself because they have their own little D-pad and A and B and start. And the, when you play that little mini game, it adds, and when you plugged it back into your console, the game, the main game read that and added extra stuff into your game. Yeah. It was, it was just truly, you know, before it's time. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, listening to this stuff right now, is like, that's amazing that they had that technology even then uh, available to them. And oh, yeah. concerning uh, Virtual Boy, Virtual Boy was laid down the foundation of what not to do for a VR headset. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, thank you, Virtual Boy, but no thank you for making people colorblind. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, but let's go into questions. Oh, the wonderful questions. Yes. <laughs> it's a time for questions. Okay, let's start off with uh, our first one. What was your favorite game to abuse with the Game Genie? <laughs> Mario 1. Mario 1. Because um, there was a code in there. You can actually, if you fill up all the codes log with random letters and numbers, uh-huh. you can get World 0 0. That's awesome. Which had everything that was in the game thrown into a level. It was horrible. It was <laughs> the worst thing ever. But if you can make it past it, you started the game up normally. That's crazy. Um, it was a water level that wasn't a water level. Yeah. I didn't have the Game Genie. Um, the only thing that I had growing up was Game Shark, uh, but that was for like PlayStation, and I think later on um, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance. Oh, you poor child! I, I, I mean, I didn't grow up with the regular Nintendo. I grew up with the Super Nintendo. I grew up with Atari. <laughs> <laughs> we did have one of those. We had. Um, the Atari, and then what is the other one? I can't believe that I'm drawing a blank. And uh, television, ColecoVision? No, it's not that one. I think it starts with the M. Mm, that's going to be a fun one. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I can't think right now. I, I can't remember. But anyway, my brother had another system that he bought at a garage sale, and he like fixed it up himself, um, and then my mom threw it. So <laughs> Was it a master system? It might have been a master system. That's what I'm thinking. I know that started with an M. Uh, but anyway, we had that. We had an Atari for a little bit. Um, but then after that, I mean, my parents were like middle class, lower middle class when we were growing up. I mean, there was four of us. So <laughs> you have there, siblings? You've never told me this. Oh, shut up! You know what? You've <laughs> met my siblings. <laughs> I have. Yeah, you met you met my youngest. Oh, yeah. Was it drinking? Probably. Yeah, we were. It was St. Patrick's Day. It sure okay, was. I remember. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I have like a bunch of siblings. So, I mean, that wasn't going to happen. I mean, like I said, I had to buy my own system when I was a kid. So, it, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but I, I've heard some really good stories with the Game Genie. But at the same time, there was a lot of games that had codes put it th- in them so that the Game Genie wouldn't work, like uh, Donkey Kong. Oh, yeah. That was what it was actually a kind of a thing because way the Game Genie worked and how the old NES cartridges worked, mm-hmm. there was a lockout chip that they put right. in the cartridge itself that communicated with the main with one of the chips on the NES itself. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole point of the... And they purposely did that because Game Genie was starting to come out and trying to do that. Right. So the new games it did a little more tweaking to, their, to the lockout chip. 
it's so funny, like how uh, older games, they were like, no, don't use cheat codes, don't use cheat codes. And then during that PlayStation era, you know, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 1, uh, you know, Game Shark existed and people were like, we don't care. Do do whatever you want to do. You know, if you want infinite health, do infinite health. Oh, you know. no. That stuff happened back then, too, but it wasn't Nintendo. Nintendo hated it because they tried actually suing Galoob. Oh, I know. Yeah. But Sega was like. Bring it on! You can't use it on games that have a save that have a battery to save the game. And the loops like, okay. Earthbound, <laughs> Earthbound was the worst with Game Genie. Oh God, yes, if you used it, it would, it would, it would it, it, Yes, it would. First of all, it would it would give you harder enemies, and if you manage to make through these like monster level, high ridiculous enemies, it eventually just turned the game off and deleted your save. Yep. I mean, crazy. Uh, question number two. Why did the Dreamcast fail? We already went into that. Um, it was just way too expensive. It was before its time. And it came out at a horrible time with the PS2 and the Xbox. I remember when the PS2 came out. The PS2 was out for... It made amazing games. I think the PS2 was one of the best PlayStations that they've released. Oh, yeah. Plus, in like my said, opinion. Oh, yeah. Like I said before, it was also the... Horrible, mar- the horrible dysfunctional marriage between <laughs> Sega of Japan and Sega of America, mm-hmm. and they could not talk to each other right. without something bad happening. Unlike with Nintendo of America and Nintendo of Japan, they're like, "Hey, we have this here. Try it. We like it. Let's just keep going." <laughs> uh, what happened to the Neo Geo Pocket? It exploded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I when I was growing up. People had Nintendo. I mean, no one had Dreamcast. No one had Neo Geo. No one. I mean, there's a people, a couple of people that had like Atari and stuff like that. But I mean, a lot of the people that I knew growing up had Nintendo. Nintendo was always affordable, and that always had a lot of games. Oh yeah, and the thing that helped Nintendo out was uh, Pokemon. Definitely, yeah, Pokemon, uh, Mario, uh, um, Metroid. I mean, I, I, you know, at the time they had a lot of Final Fantasy games. Um, I mean, geez. Oh, yeah. And there's the thing, too, is like with uh, no one I ever knew had a Neo Geo Pocket ever. It was just one of those things. You had Game Boy or if you're rich enough, you had the Game Gear and something other than Sonic and Tails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Neo Geo Pockets, they're actually worth a lot of money now. Oh, yes. I see them all the time at Game Over Video Games. <laughs> yes, I'm doing a needless plug in right now. Game Over Video Games. Love them. Love I'm those not guys. getting paid for this. <laughs> um, okay, so the next question is, I remember having a four controller splitter for my NES uh, when there was a zero games on the market that supported four players. A year later, Gauntlet 2 came out and I could finally use it. Did you ever have an accessory that came out so far ahead of the game that you could not utilize them? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it, yes. it was the four. It was the it was the uh, four tap that was on the NES because it was actually the first wireless adapter mm-hmm. that Nintendo actually officially licensed. It had a block that plugged into the player one and player two port right. on your NES, mm-hmm. and then through and then you had this other brick box that took four D cell batteries, <laughs> and it. Player one, player two, player three, and player four. I have no idea what game ever worked for it. <laughs> because all I use is player one and player two. And the only reason it was that, because, well, the way my room is set up, have the NES on one side, I'd set that thing down and then plug my light zapper into that and I'd play uh, Hogan's Alley. Um, I don't. I grew up poor. Like, 
<laughs> we didn't get all these cool accessories. I didn't have them when I was a kid. Right. I got all these things when I'm a semi adult. Exactly. <laughs> like I, I've bought all these things as an adult. Um, so I, I, do, I, I really only bought things or I got hand-me-downs of game accessories that I used. One, okay, but one game accessory that I did have to buy, uh, it was my brother had a GameCube. I have a GameCube now too. And we played Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. And with Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, you had to buy a special game adapter for your Game Boy Advance and Game Boy Advance SP so you could play together and use your um, Game Boys as a menu screen for the game. So you had to buy these special adapters that, that plugged into the GameCube to use it as a controller and menu screen. I can top that. What? The Sega Genesis. When it came out, uh-huh. you had a three-button controller. But then, Super Street Fighter... Turbo came. Oh shit! Yeah, and it had a coupon, had a thing inside the game box mm-hmm. for fifteen ninety five plus shipping and handling. You send mm-hmm. this off, they mail you a six button controller. Oh my god! Just so you can use the start button to pause the game. That's amazing. Otherwise, you're trying you're trying to punch. Shit! Hits hit start. Okay, now you got <laughs> kicks. Hit start again. You got punches. And there was no way to pause your game when your mother came in. Like, come on, dinner's ready. I can't pause the game. <laughs> ah! So you had to get done with the match to where it was like, okay, who are you going to choose next? Or die and then right. start and then wait. And then you get to that menu, that character choice screen. Like, okay, I can go have dinner now. <laughs> well, the whole time she's throwing chunklas at you. <laughs> but that was the worst one. I mean, that was the only game uh, that I had to buy that Game Boy adapter so that it could be a controller for the GameCube so we could play Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. That was an underrated underrated game. It was lots of fun and I and I like cuz you could play with multiple people and I think that that was one of the first Final Fantasy games that I played um, where you could have multiple people playing on the same game. Because yeah. before that it was just a role playing game, single player, you're in a, you know, storyline, but Crystal Chronicles was really fun. I own it. I don't think I, pl- I haven't played that in a long. We should. Time. Um, I bought so I bought my brother's GameCube. Um, and it's like the fully tricked out one. Like it's like the final level one. <laughs> oh <laughs> like no, I can top <laughs> one of those. I've uh, seen one of them out, out in the world. So the I have I have the travel screen for it, right? Ooh. And then I also have the Game Boy adapter that fits on the bottom of it. Nice. Yeah, I have that in it. Um, and then again, I have the Game Boy, um, the Game Boy adapters that fit into the GameCube. Um, I have everything for it. Mm, you know what's I can still top that. There's actually one thing that Panasonic made for that was the GameCube mm-hmm. that was completely tricked out. Oh, what was that? It was the Panasonic game, Panasonic Q. It was. Essentially, an entertainment system where you can play DVDs and everything, but it was also a GameCube built into it as well. That's really interesting. Oh yeah, it had a little screen on the top so you can play music CDs or see what track you're what what uh, track you're on while you're playing DVDs. Had mm-hmm. controller ports and the and the memory card slots in the front for GameCube. It was expensive then, and it's expensive now. Even <laughs> on eBay right now, they're selling those things for like. Five hundred dollars. That's that's absurd. Oh my gosh! Oh, yeah. It was just damn. And this was all tricked out. <laughs> had mirror finish on it. It was pretty. That's hot. Pretty. <laughs> um, our last question: How cool was the Super Scope? 
Don't know. Never owned it. None of my friends did. Um, my <laughs> we had light gun. We had light guns from the NES. My my grandparents had one, um, but it Your wasn't grandparents. the Super Scope. It was the orange, bulky ones that you got when you ordered Duck Hunt. You know the, oh, the yeah, yeah. The, the light gun. Right, but I think that's the same thing as the Super Scope, right? No, the Super Scope was for Super Nintendo. It only had like maybe two or three games that were for it. it I mean, you, they- you held it on your shoulder like a fucking bazooka. <laughs> With a little little plastic thing that slid into a slot that was like a little sight thing for it. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially an over-glorified light gun. That's, That's all amazing. That's amazing. I, I, the only game you, that you I know it like, for, the only game that I know that it works for is Super, Super Scope 6. And then I think there's like an assassin game. I, I remember Super Scope, the Super Scope game that came with it. But I don't remember the actual games that worked with it. And that, oh, wow, there's actually a lot. Really? <laughs> uh, a couple of ones you had for it was Super Scope 6, Revolution X, Operation Thunderbolt. Yoshi Safari? <laughs> Are you serious? It worked with Yoshi Safari. No, Operation Thunderbolt. I never said Yoshi Safari. No, but it does. It. it works with Yoshi Safari. Oh, son of a bitch. Were you trying to shoot Yoshi the entire time? I don't know. Holy crap, it does. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh Terminator 2. That looks cool. I hear something. The Hunt for Red October. I see that. Yeah, but it only used, it only works in the bonus games. That's so weird. Same thing with um, Lamborghini American Challenge. A racing game. <laughs> it accesses a different game mode. Oh my god, that's crazy. But most, but most of these games are like battle games, like Terminator 2, Judgment Day. That sounds like that would be fun, fucking playing with that shit. Yes, show. I need to find that, and I know where to get them. And yes, once again, a needless plug-in, I can probably find these at Game Over Video Games. You can. No, Game Over Video Games. And, <laughs> um, and once uh, again, I am not getting paid for this <laughs> at all. Uh, games Over Plus. I haven't been to Game Over Plus. I just know Game Over Video Games because I love the guys that work there at the <laughs> Houston One store that's off of 59. And and uh, it's across from... What is that mega church that's there? I have no idea. But they have one. I know <sighs> what you're talking about. Um, but they also have one on my side of town. Well, on the Lakewood. town. <laughs> Lakewood. They also have one um, on the northwest side of town now uh, in the 1960 area. Ooh. So they, they, they're, they're making more of them. Um, I personally go to more uh, Games Over Plus. It's They just have more. They have really cheap Blu-rays, 4K movies. Um, they have really good deals on everything, and they're way better at haggling on prices. Okay. I, like I said, I just, I've known all the guys there at Game Over at the, at the Houston store, the main Houston store, for years. Actually, they're actually good friends of mine. They're awesome. Great. Anyone should go over there. I am not getting paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to say that every time, no matter if he gets paid or not. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, if I'm getting paid for it, you will not hear that disclaimer at the end. <laughs> They're like, if I'm getting paid, I'm not going to say shit. <laughs> I've watched um, way too much Linus Tech Tips on YouTube now. This is bad. But let's, uh, you know what? Let's see how tech can help us out with this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How tech can help. So, game accessories. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, again, 
I guess I was born in 1990s, so this stuff was happening while I was going, like while I was still a kid. Um, some of them still came out in like the early 2000s, uh, so I don't remember half of these things. So the first, I remember them all. <laughs> oh, you're a lot older. <laughs> so the first one we're going to talk about is the amazing Konami laser scope that came out the year I was born. Oh, I don't remember that one, but I remember the commercials for it. Okay, so this thing is like hardcore. It, um, it's like an actual headset that you wore, um, and mm -hmm. it had a mic and then a laser that made you look like a Super Saiyan that, that just landed on the planet Earth. Or one of the Bork. One of the two. Whichever one you want to go with. Uh, the laser scope often finds itself on the list of the worst gaming uh, peripherals of all time. Uh, but the wearable voice-activated headset was simply way ahead of its time. The laser scope took one shouted command and transformed it into a button press. And that... That was about it. Uh, but voice-controlled gaming has been a subject of experimentation among game producers for years, with no one quite getting it just right. Yes, because I remember the commercial on it. was like, you had the little microphone right to the head, and the little kid was like, fire, 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 fire. I remember that commercial. Yes, I remember that commercial. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. And then it, no, no, I never got that one because I never owned an SNES until mm -hmm. I was in my 20s. But, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I actually bought it used from Game Crazy, one of those old video stores. Oh my god! I, yeah, I have, I haven't heard of Game Crazy in forever. Oh, I love those places. Too. I love Game Crazy. I love Game Crazy. Um, my brother actually worked at a Game Crazy. Oh, I remember going there. It's like, yeah, let me try this game out. They'll just pull one out of a package and let you play it. I know. They were the super chill. Right there. Yeah, and then yeah, right okay. next door, there was the movie rental place. Yeah, Hollywood Video. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, you know, it's kind of funny with weird things like that, and the, the laser scope and the super scope, how they're pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. You had the N64 Rumble Pack. Oh, yeah. It vibrated. Oh, my God. It's so new. So weird. <laughs> Oh, it was a huge chunk of plastic designed to slip into the expansion port of the Nintendo 64's already gawky and weird-feeling controller. It was super weird. As Nintendo crawled closer to virtual reality with the release of Super Mario 64, they also wanted a controller that would provide physical feedback on its in-game actions. It also seemed wasteful at the time to purchase an accessory that did nothing but occasionally vibrate, but haptic feedback motors are now standard modern controllers. And here's the fun part. I have an aftermarket one that I actually own. That's awesome. It had the memory card that slid into it as well, which oh, no game used. <laughs> I was like, oh, Why that's the super hell did cool. they make a memory cartridge that didn't get used with any game? I'm probably wrong oh about God. this, but there's not many games in my collection that use the damn memory cartridge because they had a battery inside it. That's Sorry, so I'm raging. Weird. That's but yes, so this weird. was actually a very advanced for its time because what happened? PlayStation, PlayStation 2, yep. Xbox, and yep. all of them. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to have vibrations in our thing. No, that I remember because like whenever um, I had a uh, PS1 Mini, um, I got it from my brother, and we had the regular controllers that were just pure plastic, and then whenever we upgraded... Uh, we had the bigger ones that it almost looked exactly like the PS1 controllers, uh, but it was thicker and it had the rumble inside of it. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever when I was a kid and we first started playing. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's wrong with the controller? It's moving. 
It's, like, it's, oh, it's vibrating like, in my hands. Yeah. What's going on? And I mean, it, it even had the feature to turn it off because people were like, what the hell is happening? So, I mean, definitely it was, it was just way before it's time. Oh yeah. Especially with the, uh, GameCube, they lost a lot of stuff with the official WaveBird wireless controller. They oh, took the I remember Rumble that. out mm-hmm. for a reason to save battery. What did everyone else, especially Pelican, do? <laughs> Throw it in there. You don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it caught fire. We don't oh care. Oh my god, I miss Pelican. When I was growing up, Pelican made the aftermarket aftermarket products for everything. Um, oh, I believe god, they yes. still do, but I mean, back then, Pelican did everything. Yeah, but they kind of lost touch with everything when there were a couple of the controllers caught fire. You know, that's you got to risk it. <laughs> it's fine. Burn fingers. It's fine. I don't need those fingerprints exactly. at all. Exactly. You don't need them. Um, I think one of the coolest uh, peripherals uh, that was just way before its time was the Sega Channel Adapter that re- was released in the 1994. This is truly a trendsetter that didn't even happen until, what is it, Xbox 360, PlayStation 4, PlayStation no. 3? Nope. No, I know. No, the Xbox Nintendo 360. had something like that in Japan only. Oh, fuck that, man. Fuck me. Okay? <laughs> I love you, Nintendo, but you need to stop doing us dirty, okay? We love y'all too. Sorry, but you got to stop playing us dirty. But the Sega Channel was awesome. There's actually a lot of homebrew stuff that's still out there mm-hmm. to to get that working without having since the subscription service is no more. Right. You can act, there's like I was actually looking at this because I was like looking to get a one for my uh, Sega channel adapter for my collection, and that's why I found all the homebrew stuff. And there's a lot where they just load all the games into it and just a little bit of modding hardware wise, and that's it. That's what I did for uh, my Wii, but then I had to reset it because it wasn't um, it wasn't updating the apps correctly. So I had to take off the homebrew channel and everything that I modded on my Wii. Uh, <laughs> so the Sega Channel Adapter, it was a cartridge that plugged into your Sega Genesis just like any other game. The Sega Channel Adapter would deliver a huge range of playable games just for $15 a month straight to your console. I mean, that blew my mind when I like started reading about these. Um, I, I saw this on display at Classic Game Fest. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. We did some more research about it. Um, great convention. They teach you a lot about about old, you know, game school gaming equipment. It's great. Um, but it used standard coaxial cable and the adapter would download the game of your choice into its onboard memory and store it until you turned off your system, allowing the user to test out and preview as many games as Sega had to offer. Um, decades before major consoles began to offer things like the PlayStation Network, the Sega channel closed up in 1998 with about 230,000 subscribers. That's still a lot of subscribers. Oh, God, yes. And, like, it was one of the things before Comcast and Xfinity. But this Xfinity is 1994. Oh, like, yeah. That blows my mind that they had technology like that. And it took that many years for other consoles to get that. Well, the, the, Nintendo kind of had it back at uh, the same time. Okay, Nintendo doesn't count because they keep holding all this awesome shit from us they, and I'm getting upset. <laughs> they use it for their Super Famicom. Yeah. From uh, April 1995 to uh, March 2000. Right. With satellites. That's fucking crazy. We never get the cool <laughs> shit. We never get cool shit, guys. No, we don't. <laughs> Japan's the, tr- the proving grounds and then they send it to us. Xbox <laughs> doesn't hold shit from you guys. Don't hold shit from us. <laughs> Back to the wonderful world of Nintendo. Say wonderful one more time. Wonderful. <laughs> we 
we're so wonderful now. <laughs> but yes, it was their uh, ASCII controller. That the thing. GameCube ASCII controller. Oh, yes. That wonderful thing. The monstrosity. Oh, you can still find it. <laughs> I, why would you want to? <laughs> well, even well, people who want it for the collections, of course. I mean, when you look at it, it just looks painful. Yeah, but the only thing it really worked for was uh, Fantasy Star Online. I know, it's one, amazing. One, two, and three, mm-hmm. which I, I have. It's exclusively for the Japanese versions of it. it. Once you homebrew it, you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like once I mod something illegally, you can do anything you want. <laughs> hey, that's been proven in court. It's not illegal. <laughs> but anyway, here's how you get the ASCII controller. In some weird way. You take a GameCube WaveBird, you cut it in half, go out to, go to Microsoft, get a keyboard, and hot glue it together. You slam that baby together, and that's what you get, an ASCII controller. <laughs> oh, God, yes. And yes, the only thing it worked for was Fantasy Star Online, so you can talk, so you can type text with your with everyone in there. So this okay, so guys, so this is I mean this is ridiculous. You think about okay, well it's just a keyboard within a controller. No, it's literally they slice the middle of a regular sized a regular sized GameCube controller, right? They sliced it right down the middle and then they put in a full-size keyboard, but they had to shrink it down to fit the size of the GameCube controller. So it was so tiny that a lot of people couldn't even hit all the buttons because they have those little, you know, like sausage fingers. Not in the U.S. I'm looking at the controller. They, I'm that was, looking at it, too. It's got a full QWERTY keyboard. It does, but the reason that it was before its time is that the buttons were so small that people couldn't type, and it was only used on one game. Oh, yeah. But like I said, but the one I'm looking at here is they, actually, they cut it in half and then put a full keyboard in it minus the number pad. Mm-hmm. In between, and it's a full-size keyboard. Right, this but it's thing- so tiny because they had to shrink it down to fit the controller. Mm-hmm. Well, they had that one, and then there's this one that came to America. This one was like, a, it was a full-size keyboard in between the yeah. left and right half of the yeah. thing. And it was but just do you realize, trying to do, do that, do you- and then flip the hands and try to type it in there. It, it was horrible. It was but you horrible, realize, horrible design. You realize how small the GameCube controller is, right? Yes, I know. I have 20 of them. Right. So imagine cutting that in half and then sticking a keyboard that would fit in between those. Okay. Well, well I'm looking at the keyboard right now. Like, well, agree to disagree. <laughs> I sent you a link. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, I know. That's exactly what I'm looking at, too. Yeah. Okay. So we just have different ways of describing it. <laughs> That's what it is. That's it's fine. Just, it's just super. It, it, I think you just have to see. Have you seen these in person? Yes, I have. Game over video games. Had one at one point. <laughs> the buttons are just. I'm really, there a lot. <laughs> the buttons are just way too tiny for someone to just be typing, and it's on a controller. Um, again, nothing really happened until the PlayStation released their QWERTY board, and that was way more successful than this. Oh yeah, because who wants to play stuff with a keyboard? That's just weird, PC gamers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our next thing is a Zavix. I have never seen or heard of this brand before. It was released in 2004. Uh, two years before motion gaming became a real at-home activity with the Nintendo Wii, a little company called Zavix came out with their own motion gaming and fitness console. 
Initially featuring a variety of sports and some some weird Jackie Chan endorsements, the Zavix was much of the Wii Sports and Wii Fit would become, incorporating motion and activity into their games. Um, but the high cost of several game-specific controllers tanked the system before it had a chance, even though it came first. Oh god, this thing looks like a horrible mini-disc player. It looks like a mini-disc player, and then it also looks like one of those Wii Fit... Um, pads you know what i'm talking about i know i have one i'm i have body by we fit <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no it looks it looks super weird it's like there's no controllers it literally just looks at your body and you play these games like that oh yeah i'm looking at some of the accessories you have the uh, harley quinn baseball bat <laughs> uh, there's a couple of like child-sized tennis rackets and a very scared-looking bowling ball that's half a, half a normal size. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Nintendo <laughs> bought them. And <laughs> Is that when what the happens? Came out. That's probably what happened. I just think likely. I just think no one bought it, and they were like, "Okay, we tried." <laughs> we tried. Nintendo, buy us. Oh my gosh! Like the same thing that Sega's going buy us. <laughs> It's almost as bad as this other thing. The PlayStation iToy. See, I remember the iToy. My brother had it. Um, he, there was really no use for it. I mean, um, but it's almost it like the a- Xbox Kinetic Eye thing. I mean, you don't fucking use them. Like. Oh, no. Nobody wants to get up and move stuff. And the only thing, there's one game that the iToy actually worked for. It was like a little, best way I can describe it was, um, oh, it was a little, what are those things called? Well, back in the nineties, they're like little keychains. You had pocket pets or whatever. Or Tamagotchis. That's it, Tamagotchi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, those horrible things. I think mine finally died. After. I love Tamagotchis, but every time I'd go to school, it would die. Like, can't, oh, my, can't my... you just be like by yourself for eight hours, baby? Like, what's going on? <laughs> no, you can't do that. It's like a human baby. It will die. <laughs> I can't take it to school just like a human baby. <laughs> Yes, you can. Did you see when you go to other high schools out here, like where I'm at, called Willow Ridge? <laughs> they have a daycare built into their school just for that. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I'll let you know the demographics of my area. We just need to edit that part out. <laughs> but back to the PlayStation iToy. Oh, yes, the iToy. Using a relatively simple webcam technology and the complex computational power of the PlayStation, the iToy was able to create an image of the player on the screen that can interact with objects, interact with digital objects. It never became more than just a novelty, and the possibilities are never completely explored because manufacturing stopped in 2008, especially when the only game you had was, hey, let me get a pet and put it in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to slap my hands together. I'm going to kill it. (laughs) I think that the iToy, you could use it with uh, Monster Hunters, right? I have no idea. I think that you could. That's the only thing. I got the second version of it, what, or where it came with where the PS3, it'll work with it, so you can have like the little d- things that look like ice cream dildos. But yeah, there was one actually. They're wands. They're wands. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> but with uh, PlayStation Portable, they ported it to that. Yes, there's a little really camera attachment that, squint- that screwed into the USB, the mini USB port that was on the top. And yeah, one game, it was a little, look, I can hold a creature in my hand. He looks so pretty, but he's not in my hand. Oh, he's pooping in my hand, but only on the screen. That's how it was. You know what? I think I think a game that no one really talks about our system is the the original PSP. 
I think yes. they kept pushing it back, but it was way before its times, especially with the um, UMD format of the discs. Um, that I, was actually a really good format. It was. I love my PSP. I still have it. I have a bunch of games for it, movies that came with it. I do not like the PS Vita. I do not like it no. whatsoever. They need to bring back the PSP. They're still releasing games over in Japan, I think, on the PSP. Oh, yeah. And oh, it's yeah. just they like... Still, they, still, they still use that UMD right. format. Yeah. They have UMD players. The same thing with the mini disc. That is still actually popular over in Japan. Yeah. America, stop fucking shit up, man. <laughs> just like, well, that, that leads to a whole other thing, but I'll leave that for another segment so I can talk about later. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but our last one, and probably my favorite one, is the... Third Space Fest, another peripheral that sought to make games more real. The FPS Gaming Vest is a wearable vest uh, with haptic sensors throughout. Um, so, like, if you're shot in the back during a first-person shooter, you would be able to feel it. Um, so it's much more instinctual than listening for insufficient audio cues or searching for arrows on a screen. But the physical feedback, um, I mean, we don't have anything like that right now. Um, it's just before it's time. Uh, even as a kid, I was like, wouldn't it be so cool if, like, you wear, like, a bodysuit or, like, a vest and you could, like, be in the game and actually, like, feel getting shot. Uh, but people don't... Don't really want to feel like they're dying. Uh, do not talk about porno. <laughs> I'm trying not to. It, it, it makes it, it is actually what is making the haptic suits. I know. Go through, which I will PG rate what I'm about to say, <laughs> which is a lot of the adult industry in mm-hmm. Japan mm-hmm. has actually focused on the haptic suits with the software and the videos that they're watching. Right. I'm, I'm excited. So I'm thinking that's where this technology kind of went to, unfortunately. Right. Um, I'm hoping that with that category um, of entertainment. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. Yes. I hope that they bring it back to gaming. It. It actually is slowly, but it's more going to the VR route. Right. And I, and I love that. I love, um, especially when you watch like those old 90s movies, you see those kids and like these little gerbil um, outfits and like they could run and walk and have the VR headsets. And so I definitely wish that we could get into that kind of VR thing where can, we could jump in one place um, and do all that other I- kind of stuff. Actually, there is a VR cafe in Houston mm-hmm. that has an omnidirectional treadmill right. underneath it, which is essentially a big bowl with sensors. Right. The haptic suit and all that for non-pornographic games. <laughs> but I mean, that's awesome. I, I think that they definitely should bring back the third space vest. I, th- I think that it would be amazing. Oh, yeah. like so It's going to be that way because I know IBM in Japan right now is working on a new type of VR to replicate Sword Art Online. <laughs> That's amazing. I couldn't do that though. No. Uh, what? Be trapped in the video? I'm game not for two gonna years? do it. I'm not. I'm just not even gonna trust them because it could happen. Uh, <laughs> I would do it. They're like surprise. No, I'm you're surprised, it's but just hey, like reality. All the towns are the safe zones. <laughs> like, guess what? I'm not leaving the town. Oh my god! I will be buying and selling stuff. I will be the. You're gonna bar. be one of those people. One of those people. Oh god, yes, of course. Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all we have for peripherals. Uh, we're going to go into my favorite category, the female perspective. Girl Um, so for the female perspective, I'm just going to highlight on three amazing women who were the trendsetters of our gaming community as we know 
today. Uh, first, we have Carol Shaw. She was the first woman game programmer and designer. Um, in 1978, she was the first woman to program and design a video game. 3D tic-tac-toe for the Atari 2600. Yeah, tic-tac-toe game for the Atari 2600? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yep, she was the first woman to program it. Oh, nice. I know. I, I, I need to find this game now. <laughs> I love I love hearing these stories about women uh, being empowered and doing good for the gaming community. Um, I like that we're being a little bit more accepting of women now. Um, I still find that there's a lot of trolls in the gaming society, especially competitive gaming. Um, but I, I think that we're getting on the right track. Well, there, you wouldn't have gaming unless there was trolls. <laughs> I mean, it's a fact. It it really is. Uh, I mean, they'll pick on you for anything. Oh, God, yes. Our next lovely lady is Donna Bailey. She was the first woman to design an arcade game. Uh, Donna Bailey accepted a position as an engineer at Atari in 1980. Already leaving Activision, Bailey was the only female game designer at the company. While there, she co-created and designed the classic arcade hit Centipede, which is one of my favorite classic games. After its release, it was an instant success. Uh, Bailey disappeared from the video game industry, uh, which she only resurfaced after 26 years um, as a keynote speaker for the 2007 Women in Game Conference. She disappeared after having that instant success, which is really crazy because you think having such a big game under your belt, you'd be put on more cases. Uh, But she... Bailey revealed it was due to the pressure and criticism from her male counterparts from her male counterparts that drove her from the business. Oh, I can see that really because, you know, what did Atari do whenever they ran the company into the ground? Bury all the games. So, <laughs> do they try to freeze dry her like Dick Clark? Like he gets unfrozen every New Year's? That's probably what's the theory. The conspiracy theory behind it all. She left Atari because they're being assholes. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. Because, granted, with Atari, that was actually one of the things that I was going, another needless plug-in, I watch a lot of the gaming historian on YouTube, uh-huh. and yes, Dogfin Studios Twitter follows him. <laughs> but um, he, had, he had a thing on Atari where actually Steve Jobs was there, and the whole right. thing was most of the people were high out of their minds right. I mean, the entire time. If you have a guy like Steve Jobs working there, you know it's like a pretty toxic masculinity area. Everyone keeps talking about toxic masculinity, but we'll save that for another show. <laughs> you saying save for another show. Uh, but our final... <laughs> amazing lady is Doris Self. Uh, She is the first female and the world's oldest competitive gamer. At the age of 58, Doris Self was one of the first female competitive gamers when she entered the 1983 Video Game Masters Tournament and broke the world high score record for Qbert with 1,112,300 points. Uh, She actually later beat her highest score in the future. Self was featured in the documentary The King of Kong, a fistful of quarters, when Pac-Man world champion Billy Mitchell presented her with a Qbert arcade machine, spurring the then 79-year-old Self to start competing again, which is totally adorable. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff going on about um, Billy Mitchell, but that was really nice. I have a lot already yeah. set in my mind. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was really nice of him to give her the Qbert arcade machine. Well, at least people are starting to know some of these females that are out there. These wonderful la- these wonderful women that 
don't get talked about that much. You don't. I mean, all. you you hear about all these great men and all the things that they did. I have never once saw a book at a gaming convention just about gaming women. I have not once seen anything about the women that have built our gaming culture. Um, but sadly, concerning self, um, at the age of 81, she passed away from an injury she received in a car accident. But, you know, her legacy will last in the classic gaming society. Yes. We will all remember her. She was a trendsetter. I mean, at 58 years old, she became like a champion of Qbert. How awesome is that? That's like my mom going and being like, okay, I'm going to go play Qbert. It's just like, that's so awesome. Oh, yeah. And it's also another thing. If anyone wants to uh, learn more about smart women, which I love, watch the movie Hidden Figures. Yeah. Three women that helped put the uh, Apollo lander on the moon. That was a good movie. I did like that movie. They faced a lot of, um, they faced a lot of stuff. Oh, yes. They did. Good movie. So, I mean, it's good seeing movies. It's good reading about how, you know, especially me being a woman. Surprise. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, she's not a boy with a high-pitched voice. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, you, You read about this oppression. And you read about the unfairness of the past. And, I mean, 1983, you know, 1970s, that wasn't that long ago, guys. You know, People keep thinking, oh, well, that's in the past, you know, current, we're, we're, we're so progressive now. That was only like 30, 40 years ago. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we're, we're getting better. We are getting better, but people need to realize that we need to continue getting better and not stay stagnant. So I was trying to think of a witty quip, but I couldn't think of one right now. No, story of his <laughs> life. <laughs> that's okay. It's in the past. It's in the past. <laughs> Okay, so we're now going to lead into our new segment, Comic Corner. Welcome to Comic Corner. This is a new segment on our podcast. Each week we'll review one comic from an indie comic book artist. This week we have The Ginger Avenger by Josh Neelis and Cristiano Reyna. Uh, This is made by Cutthroat Comics. And I am running out of paper. (laughs) (laughs) Read it on your screen, damn it, okay? (laughs) Um, I am, but it seems like a good running gag. (laughs) So, what do you think about this comic? Like, tell me, like, before we even go to the storyline, how do you feel about it? What's going on in your mind? It's actually not bad. It flows pretty well. The coloring works for me, but I'm colorblind, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) But just a couple of things it would be ne- like with the uh, the drawing with how they uh, he he draws the faces and everything else. If there can be a little more lifelikeness to it. See, okay, so I love the illustration in this comic. Uh, there's a lot of panels that you can really see the talent of the artist. Uh, what I'm having the issue. So what you're talking about is the coloring of the comic. Um, there's just too much shadowing and too much. I mean, it just looks blurry. The coloring makes it look too much blurry. There's too much shading, too many dark lines that also are on top of soft coloring. Yeah. I think this comic would look amazing. Just black and white. Black and white um, with none of this shading, none of this extra coloring Photoshop stuff. I think it would look great as just, you know, sketches out in black and white with some minimal shading. Yeah, that actually works. And just a lot, just with me, it's like I'm used to, like I said, I'm old school. I come from like the old DC and Marvel comics, like Green Lantern and all that stuff. I'm used to tr- traditional coloring. Oh, yeah. 
and just at least some of the facial features, like you know, have some actual in some sh- actual like line, like the actual natural lines on the face, stuff like that. But all in all, it's not bad. It's, it really is. It's not horrible. Um, the beginning starts with, like I said, overshading, where they put shades in places that doesn't need to, and it makes it almost unrealistic, I guess you would say. Um, but then it gets better when you when you're introduced to, um, I guess. A side main character, the boy who goes through with the Ginger Avenger and tells him about himself. Um, when it gets to that panel, the illustration looks amazing. The color looks great. Um, it's not that weird overshading. It's it's good. And then when it goes into the past, starting at 33 AD, I mean, so this kid, you're getting the sense that he's been around a lot of heroes, gods, and good men. Uh, he was there for Jesus, apparently. <laughs> when I first hey, saw geez. that, when I first saw that, I was like, is this, is this, where is this comic going? Because I, I try to stay away from, like, a lot of, like, I guess, super religious stuff, just because it can get really weird and sacrilegious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you don't want the, uh, the smited, smote? Smoted, smoted, smited, same thing. <laughs> uh, and then it goes into 600 AD. I love the illustration on that comic panel. I mean, if we could have that kind of coloring and illustration throughout the whole comic, I would love it. I would buy that comic. That's the panel. I love that coloring. That is what I like. Uh, then it goes to tw- um, 1297 AD, where we introduce Wallace. 30, um, 1350 AD, where we're introduced to Robin Hood. 1912 AD, he's on the Titanic. Uh, then it gets really dark again with 1944 AD where he's in the Holocaust and he lives, this boy lives through a gas chamber. I still say he's a time Lord. Well, the little boy is obviously he's there to uh, teach the ginger Avenger um, his powers. Yeah. So again, it starts in Ireland. Um, This man is going through this cave um, looking for something. He's reading all these things in Gaelic. Um, All these things are saying, if you want to be a hero, do this. If you're not a hero, this is going to happen to you. You're going to die. And he goes through all these things. And then when he falls into the water, he becomes the Ginger Avenger. He gets, you know, like he pretty much like Aquaman's it and gets the instant suit. <laughs> and he becomes buff and he has like the orange hair. Uh, and then it, I guess sidesteps, you see a villain that could be a current villain in the future. I, it's a good comic all in all. The boy is trying to teach the Ginger Avenger his powers. I mean, it's really good. Oh yeah. It did like the, the transition, the storyline on it mm-hmm. all the way through. It was kind of, it was, very interesting, especially with, uh, I guess it would be the Robin Hood section. Right. Like, was he real? Was he not? <laughs> based on, um, based on, you know, I mean, it was based on a real person. Uh, but I, I like Ginger Avenger. I think that the costume's really cool. It has the Celtic signs and everything on it. Um, you know, I'm Irish, so I dig it. <laughs> um, at the end, it does uh, cross into another comic that Cutthroat makes, and that's called Stingray. So I'm excited to read the other comics with you guys, um, and we can see how far these comics cross each other. Oh, yeah. I'm ex- I do want to see how the next one's going to be. Yeah. I really do. But it's a good indie superhero comic. I definitely would give it a uh, 4.2 out of 5. I would give it the same. Yeah, it's a good comic. Um, I don't think it's just me where the coloring and the illustration difference, like it changes a lot 
between panels. And I don't know if that's intentional or if they're changing between people um, con concerning art. Oh, but, but you always see these one these comics that okay they get superpowers they know how to use their superpowers. I want to see one that's like the greatest American hero, where he gets he gets the super suit from whoever. They comes in the instruction manual and he loses the manual. <laughs> I want to see that funny. where he that bumbles his funny. way through. That's what I want to see. Uh, but guys, if there are any indie comic book authors out there or writers or artists, whatever, if you want to send us any comics, just email it to dogfinstudios at gmail.com. You can email me at thirsty at ragingnerdspod.com. You can contact us on any of our social media accounts, which is at ragingnerdspod. Oh, yes. We would love to see him, read him, and we will gladly promote you in every way we can. Yeah, we love promoting the little guy. Uh, definitely, we're there for you. We're here for all you guys. If any independent artist wants help promoting, we're there for you guys. We support local artists and independent artists altogether. Because that's how everything starts with the little guy. Uh, but follow me on my social media. That's at Thirsty Erica. And me at Dogfin Studios. But thanks for listening to Raging Nerds. We'll rage all over your eardrums. Catch us next week.